Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 53, How Race is Portrayed on Lost Girl. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Chris. And Annie's not joining us this week, unfortunately, so she will be missed. But we are very happy to have a guest with us this week. Her name is Melina Pendulum. She has a YouTube channel where she talks about pop culture and how it intersects with generally race and, sex- and sexuality. And is that a fair description, Melina? Yeah, that's pretty fair. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you for having me. I love you so much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I listen to you guys every week. I'm so excited. So, And to be honest, this is actually our second attempt at recording this episode. <laughs> we recorded it prior to season four. And then due to technical stuff, I, lo- I lost it. Like I lost Melina's half of the conversation, so I couldn't put it out. And then what happened in season four happened. We'll get into yep. that. And I was like, actually, this is perfect because we should revisit this topic now. And the topic we're talking about this week is race and how race is portrayed on Lost Girl, how how characters who are people of color are portrayed. And spoiler warning, we are going to be discussing the series in its entirety in this episode through up through the end of season four, and it will contain major spoilers for season four. So if you have not seen all the way through season four, there are big spoilers ahead for you. So you might want to come back to this episode after you've seen season four. And we're tackling kind of a serious topic this week, and we are going to be pretty critical of the show on this issue. I just want to say that up front. I know it's sometimes difficult to hear people be critical of a show that you love or something that you love in general, but I think it's important, really important, to be critical of things that you love and not just let them have a free pass because you love them. And this is a very important topic to me. I I am really concerned about how people of sort of subordinate groups are portrayed in film and television. I think Lost Girl does a great job in regards to sexuality, and I want it to do an even better job or as good a job in regards to to people who are non-white characters, p- characters who are people of color. So this is an important topic, and and hopefully you will come on this journey with us, even though we are being critical of the show. And let's also throw in here that this is not, I mean, we're acknowledging this is not specific to Lost girl, necess- I mean, the conversation is, but the problem is not exactly because I think that sometimes fans feel like, oh, like you're saying that this is the only show that does it. It's like, no, a lot of shows that we love, that all of us love, have this problem. Buffy had this problem. Oh my so, god, Buffy! <laughs> I think Buffy was worse than than Lost Girl. But Buffy was yeah, way worse than Lost Girl. It was. They didn't have like a like, a major person of color character up until like Robin. Or, yeah, that was his name, like Robin the... Yes, Robin Woods in the very last season of the show. So, trust me, Lost Girl is one of many. It is not being singled out. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up, Chris. This is for sure not not a problem exclusive to Lost Girl. But at the same time, it's because it's such a pervasive problem, we need to talk about it. So, first I wanted to start with a couple of... I like to try to define my terms up front. So, we're maybe going to use several phrases that essentially mean the same thing non-white, person of color, people of color, visible minorities is actually a a common phrase used in Canada to talk about people who are not white. So those kind of all mean the same thing, and we might use them interchangeably. Are there any words that you want to kind of get out there to define up front, Melina? No, I think that those are all good, and they kind of cover all the different caveats that there can be, because sometimes there are like those weird in-betweens, how you can be like, 
Hispanic, how you can be like Latino or Latina and also still be white. And you're still kind of a person of color because there are different minority issues. So I think that all these terms are really good. Okay. So those, those are some ones we're going to use up, up front. And, and if I stumble upon anything else, we'll try to define it, make sure everybody's on the same page. So just to sort of talk about trends and representations of, of non-white characters, I feel like in the United States, we're all based in the United States, so we kind of have that background coming into this. There's actually been a little bit better, a little bit of movement toward being more inclusive of people of color in, in cast of TV shows, particularly in the last couple of seasons. There's been several TV shows that have been introduced with leads who are people of color, but there's still far too few people of color represented on TV. And, you know, I went and I found today just several episodes, sorry, several TV shows where the entire cast was white. They had no main cast members who are people of color. And if a television show does have characters played by people of color, they're often very low build, but meaning their name doesn't come first or second in the main credits. It comes more like fourth or fifth or sixth. And often they, they won't get many storylines that are specific to their character. And when they do, they're often very stereotyped. For example, on the show Elementary, which I really love, and I really love this character, Detective Marcus Bell, he's, he's black. And a couple of times when he's had a storyline specific to him, like the first time it was about the fact that he had an older brother who used to be in a gang and had just gotten out of prison. And then the other one was about his relationship with a teacher who taught in a very bad neighborhood and was trying to really confront the gang violence in his neighborhood. So, you know, it, it tends to be that characters who are people of color get storylines that are very specific to the fact that they are a particular race. And it's not that those stories are always bad to tell, but it becomes problematic when those are the only stories that they get. Yeah, they definitely try to do better this season and season two with what happened between him and Sherlock. I don't want to spoil it for people who don't watch Elementary, but I think overall there's this tendency to like, if you are Black, we must urbanize you Mm -hmm. in that kind of way to make it very clear that you are Black. Because the audience just can't tell, you know. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's like the same thing on The Tomorrow People, which is a show I was watching for a while. They had one main cast member who was a person of color. He was Asian. And when we got kind of his introduction episode, it was about his father being very strict about him being a brilliant piano player. It's like, of course it was, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You must represent all of us because you are the good one. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So... You know, that that's sort of what we're getting at. There's these unfortunate trends where characters who are people of color often don't get really fleshed out storylines. They tend to be very sort of narrow and stereotyped. And then I, you know, again, we're from the United States, so I had to do a little research in regards to representation of people of color in Canadian TV, since we are talking about Canadian Joe. And I found mostly the same trends were, were reported in Canadian TV. And A quote that I found that I liked, or I shouldn't say I liked it, but a quote that I found that was descriptive of sort of the situation in Canada from the Media Action Media 2011 Diversity Report said, That is, shows studied in this report were found to reproduce what Himani Banerjee critiques as the Canadian model of multiculturalism. Racially and ethnically, other members are welcomed insofar as they organize themselves around a white center of power. And I think that we can say that kind of is about Lost Girl which is unfortunate. There has really been a lack of diversity in casting. 
And I think that it's harder sometimes with fantasy because so much of it is suspending disbelief and creating this like multifaceted world. The fact that they have so many different kinds of fae that, you know, we don't usually get to see. Like when they introduced the Jumbi, who we'll talk about later, I was so excited because like I come from a Caribbean background. I'm like, that's us. That's our thing. And it was great to see. But then it's always got to be about, you know, going back to whiteness in this sense of like, it can't ever be about their storyline. It has to be about how they fit into that center mold, no matter what. Yeah, and it's how their storyline can be applied to Bo. We always go back to Bo. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes it's another character who's white, but usually it's yeah. Bo. <laughs> yeah. Because we love Bo, and we have to make Bo the center. Like, it's so mixed for me. I love Bo so much. We'll talk about that later. I love you, Bo. <laughs> But there's actually a, a really good good essay on racialicious racialicious I have trouble saying that word that I will link to called the fading diversity of lost girl and it was actually written at the end of season three about how we really there was a noticeable decrease in just characters inhabiting Bo's world who were people of color and the author talks about a lot of really interesting things and and I'll and I'll link you to that but I think from the be from the beginning if we just look at the cast members there's been only Hale, who's really been a main cast member. And then there's been a real lack of meaningful non-white characters that last more than just a couple of episodes. And just like one of the things I noticed when I was looking at the promo shots for this season is that everyone had their like blue background singular promo shot except Hale. And it's been the same for, I think, the past two seasons. He has never really had... He's always in the group shot because he's part of, like, the group team. But he has never had, like, the individual, like, profile pick that the other cast members have. Well, because that actually kind of reminds me of a conversation I had with somebody where I was talking about... I was talking about Hale and my frustrations with the treatment of Hale in this past season. And... I called Hale a main character and the person I was talking to said, no, he's not a main character because he, you know, these other characters who are kind of just recurring characters get as much screen time as he is and et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, I feel like for fans, we think of Hale as a main character because he's been there from the beginning. But just the fact that even she was like, I don't think of him as a main character because he doesn't get enough screen time is, I think, pretty telling. Yeah. And it's an excuse that happens a lot because I used to watch The Vampire Diaries. And <laughs> you sound so guilty. <laughs> I feel guilty. I stuck with it for four seasons and I had to give it up. Because, um, like, everyone thinks the main characters are, like, the two vampire boys and then Elena. But when you look at the the cast in general, like, it also includes other characters like Bonnie Bennett, who was the black witch character. And she was, like, the epitome of magical Negro in today's, like, and today's media. And it was very frustrating. And when people would argue that she wasn't getting the screen that she deserved because she was a main character, people would be like, no, she's not. The main character is only these three. I'm like, no. Even in the original source material that the show was based on, she's always been a main character. And the fact that she doesn't have enough screen time shows how they failed to showcase that to the audience. Because she should not be expendable to people. And I think that was also the thing about Hale that we'll probably get into later is that they made him expendable to the plot. For sure. And just to go back to your promo picture point that you made, I actually did just do a search, a quick search on a, a spot where I knew had all the promo pics. And you're correct. Hale did not get a promo picture for season four. He got one for season three, 
But okay. He did, but he did not get one for season four. And and this kind of annoys me now that I know this. They have a promo shot of Kyle Schmid, who played Rainer. What? Yes. but not, That's upsetting. But not one of Hale. That's really upsetting. That is really upsetting. That is not okay. That is not okay at all. As we have a mini a mini riot. A mini freak out. Like, what? In, in the podcast. Yeah. It's not okay. I think it's particularly disappointing that there's a lack of diversity in casting in Lost Girl because they, as as Melina mentioned, they do borrow from so many different cultures in regards to the mythology that they use. But so often they they have a, a fae who's from a non-white culture and it'll be pay- played by a white actor. The Kitsune. Mm-hmm. We'll yes. never forgive them for the Kitsune. That's the one, that's my one, like mo- some of them I will give way to because they, they let Hale be a siren and that's usually, you know, Mediterranean, mm-hmm. white Mediterranean look, where they let that happen, and they've done some blending. But the Kitsune, my problem with that is that there's no crossover for that. You know, like the Kitsune is is Japanese and sometimes Korean. That's what they are, and to just have it be like these three redheaded white women who were treated, in my opinion, in a very kind of like demeaning sort of way, which is very aggravating, and. You know, and, and Toronto is a very diverse city. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's one of the most diverse cities in the world. And this is where Lost Girl is filmed. There's people from all different places in Toronto. And I mean, granted, a lot of them are immigrants. So maybe not everybody's pursuing an acting career at this point. But there are plenty of people of color in, in Toronto who are actors. And they're just not being featured in, in roles where they should be featured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like on Lost Girl where we have these different creatures coming in from all these different cultures. And it's like, we have to wonder, like, because um, I know I keep bringing outside fandom stuff into it, but it's just, it all really much interlinks because when that movie Noah was getting controversy about there being no non-white people in it, the screenwriter basically was saying that, like, if you blend race too much, the audience will ask why. And that, in order to make it sort of like stand in for everyone, make it the everyman, that's how you get kind of like monochromatic, you know, white cast. So why do we as a society, do they think that we question diversity when we see it, one? And two, have we gotten to a point where we can only view white as the default, even when it doesn't qualify? Yeah, I reject this idea that a a role occupied by a person of color cannot be an everyman role. I really reject that notion. I actually saw a recent Tumblr post that was about the um do you do you guys remember the Cinderella movie that came out, I don't know, like yeah. fifteen years ago or something? <laughs> With Brandy and Whitney Houston. Exactly. I and don't. Wow. I'll have to go back and look really? at that. Yeah. Okay, because like the the Prince Charming in that movie is Asian mm-hmm. and his parents were played by and I'm gonna Whoopi Goldberg and Victor Gabor? Garber. Garber. Yeah. And, like, nobody questioned it. Nobody cared. Because he was I hot. Think, <laughs> I think there was something... <laughs> I think there was something that... I want to say they said it... It actually, like, sold really well. It's one of the higher-selling, you know, video interpretations of Cinderella or something. I forget exactly what the, the post was saying, but... But basically, it's been done before, you guys. Like, nobody... <laughs> Nobody cares as much as you seem to think they're going to care. <laughs> exactly. Like, people, I think we under, want underestimate our audience, but then sometimes our audience will 
disappoint us and make us realize like this is why people think that it's like every time that these adaptations happen like with Merlin everyone's like but Guinevere can't be black well Merlin shouldn't be 22 so really pick your battles so let's talk a little bit about how non-white characters have been treated on Lost Girl and of course we have to start with Hale as we have a moment of silence within the episode here remove your caps and I mentioned this when we talked about End of the Line when it aired and and we did our episode on that particular episode, that I was very, very, very disappointed that Hale was killed off, particularly because of the fact that he was the only non-white cast member on the show. But but even before that happened, and which is sort of like the the cherry on a very awful ice cream sundae, you know, he was really not treated particularly great within the 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 way that his storylines were written. Because I feel like in season one, he was really more of a token character. He was kind of Dyson's buddy. He's like, oh, he's just this ladies' man. You know, he didn't have a lot of development. I thought they actually gave him some pretty good storyline development in season two. But then it kind of all got dropped in season three. I know partially because of Casey Collins having less time to give to the show because he was on another show but then season four comes around and his storyline just gets completely wrapped up into kenzie's storyline and he doesn't really have his own what do you think melina in regards to how hell's storyline was has developed over the seasons i feel like i agree in the first season he was very much like again urban because even though he's a mythological creature and probably would not have grown up in an urban environment we gotta we gotta street him up and that was basically his role to be like the black buddy. But in season two, he did have, we did see his family. Like when they get families, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, he had the sister and those, that was really well done. It talked a lot about him and how he viewed class. There were a few kind of wonky race issues with how they dealt with Kenzie. It was very much like, you know, guess who's coming to dinner with that. But at the same time, we got more of him. And then with three, because of his other obligations, he wasn't there. And then he was finally killed off in season four. And I realized that people will say, well, he was working on another show. But my always response is that if they were giving him material that would that was like really rich, he wouldn't be in another show. And I'm not saying that he couldn't want to do it anyway. But it's not like, you know, Kenzie is solo is going to go out and do something because she has a really well-driven role that utilizes all of her skills. So she wouldn't need to go look for something else. But with Hale, who's barely there, but signed on for, like, all of these episodes, like, of course he's going to go out and find something else. And I just feel like it's... I I, I respect him as an actor, because I saw him in RoboCop after that episode, so I was happy to see him. So I'm glad that he that he's done other things, but I'm just sad that where he when he was there, he wasn't utilized. Because even though his role was limited, you could have still done interesting things with him not every character has to be in every episode to make an impact in the overall plot and i think that's where they really messed up because even in season four with the build-up towards his eventual death it wasn't about him you know it was about him and kenzie and then at the end his death is mostly about kenzie and that's not fair to his character it's not fair to to completely enthrall him with other people all the time, number one, and then to have his death not be about him. 
but to be about the impact that he has towards Kenzie, who he barely had screen time with. That's what upsets me so much. It's like, all right, you want to make his whole ending thing about him being in love with Kenzie, but he was barely with Kenzie. It, it was poorly handled. And I feel like, especially in season three in regards to he should have been used better, I felt like a lot of the screen time that he got in season three was not used to its full impact. Mm-hmm. And and that was really frustrating to me because I thought the the storyline, the the background story that they gave him in season two, this idea of of him being kind of this non idle rich character, which is usually a trope that's given to to white characters. I thought mm-hmm. that was really interesting, and the fact that he he was really choosing to be part of this group of outsiders, even though he came from a family of power and prestige within the 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 world of the fae he was choosing this different path i thought that was really interesting and then they didn't really use either of those aspects to really fuel his character arc in season three i felt like they dropped the ball when they basically made him in a way tricks pawn which i know that you know shows more of tricks deviousness but you have an opportunity for hale to be a leader in his own right and you know, use those, as you said, those non idle rich qualities about him. But after we see Trick's influence on Hale, all of the things that he did to me, I in my mind, they came from Trick. Like when he was mean to Lauren and everything, I feel like that's Trick because Trick's the one who was pushing him to be this person and he's doing it not because it's what he thinks he has to do, because of what he's been told he has to do. And that was just frustrating. Like even when we don't see him being manipulated in the back of our minds because we've seen him being Trick's puppet, that that's what he gets reduced to in a role where he's supposed to be in control. And of course they have that whole thing where like technically he's being promoted to a higher position. Like he's, he's got more power now, but basically it's all sort of an excuse to use him less often or to see him less often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that is a common thing is they'll put, they'll have characters who are people of color in roles of, positions of power in shows, which seems like a good thing, but it often means that they get much less screen time. Like, for example, the the thing that I always think of is on Law and Order, when they added Lieutenant Van Buren to be part of the, the law part of the show, right? And mm-hmm. it's great. She's a female lieutenant. She's a black female lieutenant. That's fantastic. But who do we see on a day-to-day basis? We see the two detectives working the case. We don't get to see Lieutenant Van Buren all that much. Yeah, there's the scene or two of giving orders, and then we spend the rest of the episode watching Lenny the orders getting carried whoever. out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So we have talked about this idea of women in refrigerators on the show before when we talked about Kiara and Nadia. And just as a reminder, it's a concept that kind of comes out of comics. It's really an idea that's been fueled by, by Gail Simone. I was going to see if Chris was going to go, eee! but she didn't. <laughs> I'm not Annie. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. But she, but Chris really likes Gail Simone. And I do as well. I'm actually, you can't see because we're not on video, but I'm actually wearing a shirt with all of the DC heroines on it. So much love. Fantastic. And now I wish I could see it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds but, good, though. But Gail Simone is a, is, a, is a comic writer. And she noticed that there's this trend in comics where women were often brutally murdered and stuffed into refrigerators. And generally, the, the entire reason for that, <laughs> that happening... Literally, that only literally happened once. Oh, I thought it happened more than once, the stuffing into refrigerators. Literally happened once. Okay. I think they may have done like a parody or like a response to it to be like, you know, show it because like, to make fun of or acknowledge the trope, but it really happened one time. Okay. I thought it happened at least twice, but okay. Not y'all, that I'm y'all aware are bigger of. experts than I am, so I'll... It I'll... was in an episode... Of, it was in... Green it was in an issue of Green Lantern. Yeah. 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 
So, okay. So there was this scene where Green Lantern's girlfriend was brutally killed, stuffed into a refrigerator by his villain. And the entire point of this happening was to further Green Lantern's storyline. Girlfriend tragically killed just to basically give the Green Lantern more impetus to go after his, his nemesis. And so Gail came up with this idea of this often happens to women in comics. They may not be literally stuffed into a refrigerator, but they're harmed or killed just to really fuel the storyline of a male character. And while the trope is called women in refrigerators, the concept of a character being fridged can very often apply to characters who are people of color as well as queer characters. And I feel like when it came to to Hale's death this season, Hale was really fridged. As, as Melina mentioned, he was killed pretty much just to further sto- Kenzie's storyline. Yes. And I think that one of the most, I think the most telling scene to pretty much show how it's about Kenzie, and I, and I understand that in a degree, Kenzie is the more important character, and that her relationship with Bo is meant to be, like, the, the foundation of the show, so they want to always reestablish that. But when Bo is killing Massimo, and the last thing she says, this is for breaking Kenzie's heart. As powerful as that scene is, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, like, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing that he's supposed to, he killed your friend. And the fact that that's not the, 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 the that, sh- that should be why he dies. Like, the fact that Kenzie's heart is broken is tragic, and I feel horrible for her because I love Kenzie. But the fact that he killed Hale, that should just be enough. That should be the last thing, because it's his death. Kenzie, at this point, was was alive. And I think that shows how it's not about him. It's about her and about how we can further her emotional journey. Because even the episode where he dies, the lead up to it is all about Kenzie. And her finally getting her backstory and knowing about her family relationships only to have one relationship that she values be taken away. I did feel kind of weird about that where Bo, I don't remember if she punches or kicks him now, and but says, and this is for Hale. And then she follows that with stabbing him through the heart for Kenzie. And I was just kind of like, that doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> like, why? I mean... Yes, breaking Kenzie's heart is terrible, but why is it that killing Hale only got, like, a bludgeon? Like, why did she only bludgeon him for that? It should have been enough. I feel like, I think she, like, kicks the knee out from under him for Lauren. And then, yeah, I think she just sort of hits him for Hale and then stabs him for Kenzie. It just seemed weirdly, it seemed weirdly unbalanced. Yeah. I would have felt like if she's like, this is for Lauren, this is for breaking Kenzie's heart, and this is for killing Hale. I think that would have been better. I agree. Yeah. Right. Because Hale died. And and I think, you know, one of the reasons that Hale remained kind of in the background is we we didn't see him. De- they didn't develop a real relationship between him and Bo. You mm-hmm. know, they had a few scenes together. I, I liked the moments where they got to work a couple of cases together, but they were never super tight. He was always Dyson's friend, Kenzie's boyfriend. He wasn't really Bo's family the way that she's talked about the other characters on the show yeah because i remember i I mentioned like in the episode where we go into um, lafaya poke Mm -hmm. um where we see dyson's memories hale's not in it hale was not thought of as important enough to be in their like you know little union world vex gets to be there but not hale and yet he comes in at the end during the hot dog get together but it's like like we're a family and we're all together but like yeah but he wasn't enough to be in your self-conscious he wasn't even allowed to be there. And that always frustrated me because in those kind of like episodes where it's like all about how much they are as a unit, sometimes he won't be there. 
And I'm like, so is he a part of your union or not? And I remember when I was doing my own video discussion about um, Hale's death and Bo, in the, the scene where Bo and Kenzie are, are having the thing about should she kill Kenzie to save Hale? And like, let me clear this up. I love that scene because it's brilliantly acted and I love both of them in it. At the same time, I'm like, of course she's not going to kill Kenzie or hurt Kenzie to save Hale. Hale is nothing to her relative to who Kenzie is. Like, it's not, a, it's not a contest. It's not a question. Because Hale has always been, like, a friend of a friend. And so, like, as powerful as that scene is, that, that hitting of, like, her choosing Kenzie, I'm like, well, duh. Like, who, who you're not really going to kill your best friend to save this person that you barely hang out with. I mean, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I do think that Bo and Hale were friends. But, yeah, it's not really on the same level as anybody else on the show because well i mean yeah bo's whole talking about everybody else's being family i don't know that hale ever really got to family level except as an extension of the relationships with the other people so yeah yeah i think that like not that i dismiss his relationship with them completely i just feel that like that they want us to believe that hale's at a certain level for all of these people but what we get to see him in doesn't in my opinion, fit where we were supposed to feel with him because he wasn't, he didn't get, he never gets to be in like the flashback episode with that. And that to me was like a big issue. And then when there's like, you know, when the episode where the, with the mermaid where they all get to be a group and do their own secret mystery, Hale's not there, but his absence is never felt because like, if he was there, he would kind of almost be in the way, like what function would he serve? And that to me is the problem. Like he, his absence is fine because we haven't built him in to be that necessary. Right. Yeah, and they don't even really give an excuse for why he's not there. They mention, oh, Tamsin's recovering, and that's why Tamsin's not uh, helping Kenzie and, and Dyson and Lauren and Waves. But they don't even really feel like they need to explain why Hale isn't there. Yeah, it's like, he's never there. What are you talking about? And And yeah, and it's also really telling i think to compare the two big character deaths in season four hales is permanent he's not coming back from all indications we have from the showrunners hale is not coming back casey collins was given a farewell party that was his last episode however when kenzie dies pretty much the entire audience is like oh she's totally coming back and 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 kenzie gets this grand sort of heroic death where she chooses this is my time to die i'm doing this for my friends whereas hale's very tragically killed like he's 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 killed and he's very protective of Kenzie. And it's not like, I wouldn't say it's necessarily, he's, it's hard to explain. Cause like he gets a good death in that I feel like it's very true to his character, but. Right. In the midst of heroic action. Exactly. Exactly. But he gets this tragic killed by this bratty little human guy on a power trip with mommy issues. Whereas Kenzie get this, gets this soaring heroic death. And it's just very different. To compare it, I think that he got Tarad. Tara dies in Buffy very tragically, but unceremoniously. Yeah. I think that would be the word to put it. Like, it's tragic. It happens for no reason. Except to be tragic. Except to be tragic, and it happens by a human who should not be able to get the upper hand. And it and it ends up being furthering Willow's already plot line about her magic addiction thing. And it's not really about Tara. It's about Willow's combination of her power and all her anger and her lashing out and dealing on issues that we've been having since, like, season four and five. 
Yep. I think that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, I, I, I understand that for some people it's like, you know, Hale had to go. And I know that of the characters that, that could have been killed off, Hale made the most quote unquote sense because of the limitation that they had given his character. But those limitations to me are the problem. Right. There is, there's no reason why Hale should be as low on the totem pole as he is. And someone like Tamsin, who's been only here for one season, has had like two amazing storylines, well done storylines. Like she has, like her character development has been phenomenal in my opinion because i never i didn't like her last season but now she's one of my favorites and that's because they wrote her character really well and she wasn't always there she's absent for like chunks of episodes in this season and yet they made the episodes that she was there impactful about her character so if she had died in the finale i would have been very upset just because of what they've given her and i think that they did not do that with hale in the lead up to his death Right, they did a lot more of it in the second season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they. It was very bizarre to me that they had Hale absent for two episodes, and then he died because mm-hmm. he was in Groundhog Day, wasn't in Destiny's Child, wasn't in Waves, and then he was killed the next episode. Yeah, and I feel like this fourth season we had a lot of like of that like things are happening, but we're not going to show them to you. You just got to assume. But then it makes things very jarring. Like, I've, I've been shipping Hazy, because I don't call it Kale. I always call it Hazy. I don't know why, but I think it sounds cute. And, like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't call it Kale. But, um, their relationship is so rushed that even as a shipper, it very much upset me. Because I was just like, you have these episodes, like, the build up for them, the first two episodes, which is cute. But then it's like, Dyson is there, and he's putting his wolf penis in between my ship. <laughs> And I'm not happy about it. Is anybody else getting a visual right now? I'm getting a visual and I don't know that I want it. And like, I love the premiere, but I don't understand why we have to have in memorandum this like tango three way between like Hale, Dyson and Kenzie. Like, why couldn't it just been like Kenzie and Hale are like together now? Like, why is there this like drag out and all these other things and we never get to see their relationship in a really fulfilling way but Dyson and Kenzie get all this amazing development for just being friends I'm just like why are you doing this to me (laughs) and then when we finally get them it's like we get some cute episodes like I really loved how that um he consents and doesn't want to have you know intercourse with Kenzie when she can't really consent I'm just like you believe in consent him Thank you. But other than that, like, we get them together, and then they're cute, and then we don't see them for, like, four episodes, and they're together, and then they're cute, don't see you, then you die. It was very choppy. This has been a hazy broadcast. (laughs) In in lieu of DocuBuster, we now have the hazy cry. (laughs) We'll we'll need to get somebody to come up with a name for it. (laughs) I'm going to work on it. I'm going to find names. All right, other POC characters, because I'm going to get really upset about Hale. Like, I try not to get too, like, emotional about it, because, like, for me, what what bothers me about it so much in sci-fi is that as, as, a, as a Black person who loves sci-fi, who loves fantasy, I always feel like I have to choose between a genre that I love and the representation of my race. And in Lost Girl, also my sexuality, because I am bisexual. And I appreciate so much the gender issues in Lost Girl. And I don't want to have to choose between that 
and the race. I don't want to have to be like, you know, frustrated because I don't have people of color characters treated well, but then also want to watch it because like, I'm getting representation that I never really get. Like, Bo is such an important character to me and what she represents her bisexuality. Like, even though she gets to, like, like they say, like, she's pure, but also, like, loves sex. And that's amazing and beautiful and so different from what bisexuals get told that I don't want to have to fight between that and the fact that you kill off the one black character you had and you treat other POC characters in this very dubious manner. It makes me sad, Lost Girl. I don't want to be sad. So let's talk about the other uh, people of character guest stars that we got in season four. Uh, you know, there's uh, it's an okay list. Not great. It's an okay <laughs> list as far as number wise. But if you look at sort of how the the roles that they got to play in each of the episodes, it, it really varies. I, I think probably the most prominent storyline that we got for a guest star who was a person of color was probably the Jumbie in in Lovers Apart and who you mentioned previously. And mm-hmm. I had really mixed feelings about her storyline. I agree. Because I, I did like how because this is a metaphor that they've used before, this sort of uh, Faye versus human as, as sort of a race metaphor. It doesn't always work out great, in my opinion. Sometimes it works better than others. And and we really see that play out in her backstory that we get with her her beloved from back in the day. She was, you know, she was Faye, he was human, he was white, she was black. And I, so I kind of like them bringing in the interracial aspect of her relationship. There was kind of this historical context of, I, I feel like if that had happened, when it seemed to have happened, she might have been accused of being like a witch or something like that for being able to get this white man to fall in love with her. And so the fact that she gets, you know, dunked in the water and things like that kind of made sense to me. So it it kind of pieced together in that regard for me. But I just felt like she got, you know, we A, we don't see her all that much. She's a spirit who just possesses other bodies. And I just felt like her, I didn't really like how we didn't get to know her enough, I felt like, in my, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That she becomes almost like, uh, a stand-in like when she gets when she possesses Bo and then her and Dyson have that whole little matrimony thing oh I did not like that I didn't like that at all I'm like this is you're both white there's no problem stop it um <laughs> and they're both fey like the metaphor completely yeah. like false yeah it's wasted and I think that it's like I, I appreciate the jumpy being there because it represents a sort of mythology and you know, that that doesn't really get to be shown a lot because, you know, it's Caribbean mythology and Jumbi are really not talked about because usually when they do um, Caribbean mythology, it's all Voodoo and it's all done wrong, um, as you see with Laveau later on. So I appreciate that, that she was there and that she was sympathetic, but it takes so long for her to become sympathetic. Like, I wish that we had gotten, like, a little bit of her flashback at, like, a weird interim in the in the um, episode to kind of get a hint that there was something more going on because for most of this it's kind of like oh she's just harassing this poor white family and there's no context for it Mm -hmm. until so far in that it almost feels like a tag in like oh this is just her backstory but it's not I don't I just think it's not a very well run it's not a really well done story for what they were trying to do there are too many like little holes and she's like as you said like she's not really there enough for it to be her story. It ends up being about Bo and Dyson and their whole thing. And that ruins the metaphor because it they don't fit it. 
And the fact that she's a spirit who's possessing these other people, it means this character, who's a person of color character, is often getting played by white actors again. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's you know, it's Anna Silk, it's, it's the guest star whose name I don't know. I apologize, who played the teenager playing this black character. So, Chloe Rose? Possibly. I know she was on Degrassi. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so it's really on them to be playing this character for a large chunk of the mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, it just, and, and you feel so bad for the, the family and what they've been through that it, the racism aspect of what the, his ancestors did is completely almost, in my opinion, lost. Cause it's not an issue up until like the very middle part. But by then he spent so much time with his family. It's like, well, and the whole thing will go like, well, it's not their fault that his family was racist in the past. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it just kind of like, eh. <laughs> I get what they were trying to do. I feel like it was done with the best intentions, but it, there has to be more context to it than just like that there was racism in the past and she's taking on the family now. That storyline is just, it, it, that narrative is just used so often in a negative light about people of color who won't like get over the racism of the past that I just think it, it the context makes it kind of weird. And then. I th- they, well, since we mentioned Laveau, Laveau made me want to tear my hair out. We, we mentioned <sighs> in the, in the episode that we did about End of the Line that clearly her name was a reference to Marie Laveau, who was a very powerful figure in the voodoo community in New Orleans. And she was a very powerful female figure. And I feel like she was just sort of cha- turned into, I mean, obviously, I don't think they were, that woman was supposed to be Marie Laveau, but she was kind of, an homage to her exactly Mm -hmm. and i felt like she was just turned into this very stereotypical voodoo cartoon yeah it's hollywood in general does not do very well with voodoo like american horror story like they tried but at the same time they kind of failed at that but this episode is like what what i think what aggravated me the most not even that she was cartoonish but the 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 creepy misogynistic white guy yes he should have got hit beheaded first and foremost that's what made me upset. I'm like, why? Because usually Lost Girl kills off the misogynist. Usually they do, yeah. But this one gets to live, and the black, you know, character dies in a very unceremonious way. And then, like, does, I forget, does, like, does Bo drink her blood, right? Yes. Because yeah. gets her power. Mm-hmm. That was all very creepy. And it's just, like, not that it's disrespectful, because I feel like it's just, it's a lack of, of understanding what voodoo is. And she wasn't important. Like, she could have just been anybody. Like, why do you have to make her, like, A-level? Why couldn't she just been, like, some weird priestess who wants to, like, resurrect some not-zombie zombies? <laughs> Revenants. There you and go. And that be it. Like, why bring, why name her Laveau and then have her just be so unceremonious? It seems like a waste of an homage. Like, it could have been a great episode if they had her, like, be almost like an Ebony-type character. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of like, oh, she's here. Just put her there, and then she dies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that I agree with you on on both points. I really didn't like the relationship that we had with the creepy white guy, and that the creepy got white guy had nothing bad happen to him. Really, he got, I guess, metaphorically kind of castrated when his camera was destroyed. But whatever, that's nothing. And we and want then, to cause him physical pain. Is we the do. problem? We do. We're, we're <laughs> we have a violent tendency toward this character. It's true. Oh yeah, they deserve to be heated with hot coals. Just beat them. <laughs> Am I violent? No. 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 Am I practical? Yes. 
So, and yeah, and, and again, with, with Laveau, if she was going to be an homage to Marie Laveau, why, why couldn't she have been a true, powerful female figure? Yeah. Why do it that way? Yeah. That seemed kind of weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then another character that we, we mentioned, kind of the, the weird racial stereotypes around was Dao Ming in Destiny's Child, who actually, I loved that character. I thought the actress was fantastic. I really liked the interaction she got with Trick, but the stupid Asian music. What stupid Asian music? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you can tell by like all the, all the usual Asian oriental things that we have around her, but this character is Asian. (laughs) Oh, you didn't realize it? Let me just play this soundtrack. (laughs) I got the CD queued up right here. Yeah. Here we go. And and you were pointing out before we started recording, Melina, the, the long fingernails thing is a a common thing that they've used with Asian characters on the show. Yeah, with Fang. Like, I, it, it's such a weird... I, f- I don't even know where it originates from. I feel like it has something to do with, like, opium. Because I feel like they, they have these stereotypes and they all come from that era of when, like, opium was a thing and they would always, like, use these kind of quote-unquote oriental stereotypes so i feel like it's from that vein but there's something it's like it's so othering like why is that necessary to show that oh they're different but why would all right so doming as you said before like she and her sister both had it but then why does fang have it yeah i would have been more okay with it if it was maybe a lewd wan thing because we have seen Faye have certain you know physical traits so okay maybe it's a lewd wan thing but then you mentioned that fang had the long fingernails as well so no it just seems to be an asian thing mm-hmm. unless you're joystick high because joystick high is too awesome to be slanted in that way but everyone else yeah but i guess here's here's a i guess maybe a positive note from the season in regards to to portrayals is we had cassie reappear the the oracle that we first saw in dead lucky and in dead lucky there's some weird race stuff going on in that episode because we have mm-hmm. this character who we we have a clearly Jewish character in a Chinese restaurant, which makes total sense to me. It, there's a a long standing history of Chinese food and Jewish culture being intertwined, so that stuff actually really makes sense to me. I will talk about that more at some other point if anybody's interested, but I won't go into it here. And then, but then we have Cassie come in, who is Meyer's niece, and so okay, she's she's biracial, great, fantastic. But it's a, a an actress whose last name is Matsui, so Japanese ancestry. And she's dressed, but she's dressed in kind of like uh, these these J-pop clothes. But she's in a Chinese restaurant. She gets someone by a gong. There's weird race stuff going on in Dead Lucky. Well, don't you know that all Asian cultures are the same? Oh, They're really? all interchangeable, don't you know? I learned that from TV. <laughs> <laughs> so we have Cassie return this season. And they've basically done away with all of that. She's wearing just kind of normal clothes. She still has a very snippy kind of attitude but she's she's less she's not j-popped this this season i think when she puts her jacket on before she leaves her jacket's a little a little like her old style but but i think that was it yeah but she was really toned down this Mm -hmm. season which i appreciated yeah i instantly noticed like at first i didn't recognize her i was like who is this and i'm like oh my god it's 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 cassie and then i and then i was like they really did a much better job in making her or like not having to like give all the cues like she's different (laughs) yeah exactly exactly because i mean for for sure j-pop is a thing in china it's not that the chinese teenagers might not wear j-pop outfits but it was just a lot of weird race stuff going on in dead lucky so i was glad that they 
didn't go come back to that with her character that she got to be a little bit more it just kind of like blend into the world and not just be so oh she's really different from the rest of the people in this scene can't you tell mm-hmm. i appreciated that so did you want to talk a little bit about kai and let the dark times roll kai is a character who does a little dance off right with tamsin and that was just when i first can i i'll be totally honest with you, when i first saw the screen caps of the episode and i saw the actress playing Kai, I'm like, oh, she's probably gonna die. And then what happens? <laughs> <laughs> and then and then she has her dance off with Tamsin, and as funny as watching Tamsin twerk was, all of a sudden, <laughs> in this very step up type arena, and she's perfectly dressed for a dance off. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a party where everyone's dressed up and looking glamorous. She comes in with her sweats and her t- and her tank top, and she's ready to go. I'm like, did you know there was gonna be a dance off? Like. Did you get a memo or something? It just—it was just very silly. I wasn't offended more. I was kind of like, really though, like a dance off. I believe she was wearing sneakers too, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she was. And sneakers, like she was perfectly set for this dance off. She was praying for it. She's like, I—I I have a feeling I'm going to dance off today <laughs> to the death. <laughs> I was really kind of frustrated in that episode because there was there was Kai who had kind of a significant part to play in the episode. Well, not significant, but you know, she was a part of a storyline, but she didn't get any lines. Yeah. She, she just danced and then she died. And and then we had at the beginning of the episode, something that you appreciated. We said that Bo has has been having a threesome with a, a, a black man and a white woman. Mm-hmm. But then the black man just kind of walks off screen and the white woman at least gets a line. It's like one line, but she still gets a line. And then there was the waiter in the episode who was a white guy who got a line. I'm like, why could it? <laughs> the black characters in the episode maybe just get one line, just one. No, I, un- I understand that frustration. And I think what's also funny about it is that she was promo worthy. Like, they, they were like, we're going to show you this new interesting character that's going to be in this episode. Silent dance off. And again, we have sort of this weird race reversal where, you know, she was the, I forget the word. Oh, master? Yeah, there we go. She was the master of poor, you know, white, gigantic Bruce. And, you know, because we've seen this dynamic before where Lauren is essentially, is an indentured servant to the first Ash, who was black, indentured servant to Hale, you know, who is, who is black. And, and then the, of course, the, the play on Guess Who's Coming to Dinner episode, The Girl Who Fade with Fire, where, it's, you know, white Kenzie being brought into Hale's black family. And the issue there is not that Kenzie is white, but, you know, she's human in their fate. But still, this weird thing where they're kind of giving these these moments that are historically kind of situations that black people have experienced to white characters. Yeah, It's all it's like post-racial myth, though. Like this idea that we were so beyond it that we can like parody it. And it's like, no, we're not really beyond, beyond it because there's a history to it. But it's trying to like, like, so like every, it happens to everybody. And it's again, like how you say, like, there's always these metaphors. And like in this metaphor, it's, it's instead of it being, you know, racial, it's about species. And race is treated on Lost Girl the way that they treat sexuality in the narrative where it's not really talked about. But I think that works in terms of the sexuality on the show because they do such a good job of, of showing characters with diverse sort of sexual identities. And, you know, their main character is, is a bisexual woman, but I don't think it works when it comes to race because of the lack of diversity in the characters that we see. 
just because we're complaining about Hale's death does not mean that we think that you should never kill off non-white characters. No one is saying that they should just be invincible and live forever. But if you only have one, and that's it, and the rest of your POC characters are of no consequence, you create a problem for yourself. Because I know with the show Sleepy Hollow, the thing that people are complimenting it about is that it has so many characters of color that if you if you did kill off one, you'd still have like four left. And that's so rare in fantasy. It's that you don't give us any to root. You don't give us any. We only have the one and then you get rid of the one. Like Tara's death in Buffy is not that you can't ever kill off a gay character, but she was one of a matching set. <laughs> And she was really there to be Willow's girlfriend. And when you killed her off, you really got rid of the only relationship in the entire show. We did. I, I, I did want to end on a positive note because I, I do feel like in the in the first season of Lost Girl, there is an episode where where race is pretty important to the plot, and I feel like they actually handled. I really liked the way that they handled it. And I'm talking about the episode Dismembers Only. And this is the episode where Bo is, is asked by one of Kenzie's friends to come investigate this country club because his, his cousin, who I, I, I think he says he's from Mexico. So he's Latino. He's undocumented. And this, this country club we learn is pretty much exploiting these undocumented workers. You know, Bo comes in and she figures out it's a land white that's causing the problems. But in this episode, it's not Bo that slays you know the big beastie it's actually the workers who have been being exploited by the land white get to confront the people the the creature that's based that's been oppressing them and really bring about the downfall of these these country club figures who had been exploiting them and oppressing them and i like that the show gave that moment to the people who are actually being effective and it, and it wasn't just Bo as white savior coming in and and taking care of these poor people of color yeah. I think that was probably Lost Girl's best episode about race because it really understood that in order for there to be progress, you have to give the power back to the people who are being oppressed. You can't have them come in and be like saved by Bo. They have to be given the tools to be able to, to do it for themselves. And I thought that it was really powerful that Bo realized, all right, let me go. Y'all can handle your land white. And I, I really enjoy that episode. I think it's one of, like, season one is just, in my opinion, like, one of my favorite seasons of Lost Girl, but that episode, like, always stood out to me. One thing about Lost Girl, and I know we're talking more literal representation than figurative representation. I personally, as somebody who is biracial, I, I find it kind of interesting the way that Bo is portrayed as being... You know, she's raised by humans, but is actually a fae. And so she's sort of constantly portrayed as being caught between these two worlds. And in some weird, and this is probably me and my literary interpretation projecting onto this, but I, I find it very relatable to aspects of my own life, just because... My dad is Chinese, and my mom was, the you know, white, but mostly British and Irish, I believe, you know, and, and very, very Midwestern. So I was basically kind of raised Midwestern. <laughs> and, you know, we'd go and spend at least a week every year with her family in the Midwest. 
And I don't know, it's it was kind of strange because I think there was some family reunion picture we took when I was like 10 or 12 or something. And I remember being a teenager and looking at this picture on, I think it was my cousin's refrigerator and thinking, you know, how weird it was because, you know, I, I was several feet away from it and I could find myself immediately because I didn't look like the rest of my family. And basically, you know, up until, I don't know, my high school or college years or something, I, I think I looked much more, much more Asian or Chinese than I maybe do now, because now nobody knows what the heck I am, apparently. Which has led to very weird conversations, and then, anyway. I don't know, I, I just, I find it interesting the way they've portrayed Bo's origins, I guess. Just, I, I find it relatable to to my youth, especially, and, and really still. Because it is this whole strange thing, because, like, we'd go and visit my dad's family, and you know, the, the Chinese family members would all sort of, there, there's a certain expectation that you know certain things, and I just had no clue what was going on. Because, I mean, I wasn't really raised Chinese, particularly, you know? My family, where I grew up, wasn't in the vicinity of either of my parents' families. I don't know, I, I guess I'm just... All of this to say, <laughs> and Stephanie's just kind of like shaking her head at me, I'm sure. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm listening very carefully. Okay. Because I, I think, I'm. Uh, excuse me for interjecting into your story, but having known you for a while, I feel like you're you're probably closer to your the side of your family, your mom's side of the family, than you are to your, your dad's side of the family. So right. it must be kind of weird that you look more similar to your dad's side of the family than you do to your mom's side of the family. Right. All of this is sort of where I was going was that... Basically, you know, Bo raised human, but is Fae, but then she's, you know, in the world of the Fae now, and it seems like the Fae all sort of have this expectation of her to know what the deal is with being Fae. But she kind of doesn't, because she wasn't really raised that way. And it's not like I wasn't remotely raised Chinese. There was there were elements of it in my childhood, but even with my dad, which is the strangest thing to me, there are certain Chinese things that he just expects me to know. And I'm like, I'm your kid. If you didn't teach this to me, <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> and because he, he was raised very Chinese, which is sort of interesting because I think it was his grandparents are the ones who came to the US. But his parents and he were raised in a fairly, fairly traditional kind of way, you know, where they, they learn Chinese as kids and stuff. Like he went to Chinese school after going to regular public school. So there, there are certain things that it seems like they all kind of expect me to know. And I just, I, I have literally no way of knowing those things because nobody, nobody taught them to me. So I, again, this is all sort of to say that I, I, see similar things in the show's portrayal of Bo being in the Fey world. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That was a lot of words to say something very little, but No, I think it's important because I feel like in every non-white, even some white groups as well, there's ex expectation of cultural knowing, like that you just you just know what everyone means. Like I know in like the black community there are certain songs and there are certain dances that you're just 
you're supposed to know these things. You're supposed to know how to do the electric slide. You're supposed to know these certain songs and these certain ideas about our culture and our history. But when you don't grow up around that all the time, but you look like you're supposed to, there's like this question of like, well, do I fit in? Like, where do, what does it mean? And have I failed somehow if I don't know all these things that I'm supposed to know? Right. That is the thing. It It is sort of a weirdly alienating experience because as Stephanie was saying, you know, I really have spent a lot more time with my mom's family, just, you know, family reunions and stuff like that. I'm really close to my cousins on that side of the family. I don't look like any of them at all. And so there's just, there's this weird sort of disjointedness to your existence because you kind of don't feel like you necessarily fit in that well with either family or either side of your family. And it's not like, I mean, because my parents are not biracial, I kind of don't think they really get that either. So it's just, it's very, it's very, very strange. And I think we really do see, I think that it's absolutely a a legitimate reading of Bo's experience in the first season where she grew up in the human world, but she wasn't really human and she feels out of place. And now she's in the Fey world, but she doesn't have all of these, the old history and sort of the attitudes that they have toward human that, that they do. So it's like, yeah, she's this one thing, but she doesn't quite really fit in either. So, so that's what I mean. I feel like sometimes the human versus Fey as race metaphor can work, but other times it just kind of falls flat. Right. Like what you were, what you were saying kind of reminded me of almost like the dawning, how it's this traditional Fey, you know, Right of right of passage they all know about, and Bo's like, "What? No yeah. one told me." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It, it, it's one of those things. Like, it doesn't even occur to anybody to tell Bo about any of the stuff in advance, because of course she should have just been raised that way, and they were all raised that way, and so it just sort of like it doesn't even occur to them that she doesn't know about any of this stuff. Apparently, I know it's a show convention, so that they can explain to us all what is going on, but still. I think it still works. My comparison is still valid. Absolutely. I think it really is. Well, I just wanted to to say thank you again to Melina for being on the show to talk about this issue since this is one which you talk about a lot and I I will I'm going to link to the video that you made in regards to Hale's death. I think that's a really good discussion so that people can check out if they want to. It's actually kind of funny and I and I mentioned this to you. Somebody actually emailed us a link to your video saying, "I think you would after what you said about Hale's death, I think you would appreciate this video." I was like, "Actually, she's going to be on the show and talking about it." So, it was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, I like I love you guys so much, and I whenever I make a lost video, I'm like, listen to Drake to the Doll because they're they're better than me and they're much nicer than me. I always <laughs> feel like I'm I'm really mean, but I love you guys, and I I'm so glad that you wanted me here. I'm sorry I talk a lot. Don't apologize thank for you that. So much. It was it's always good fun, and you two are so funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you so much. So thank you again to Melina for being our guest. We really appreciated her being there. I will link to where you can go watch some of her YouTube videos in the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 53. I will also link to the racialicious article that I mentioned discussing the dwindling diversity of Lost Girl. There's a lot of really good points in that essay because really we we just scratched the surface in this episode talking about representations of non-white characters on Lost Girl. We focus mainly on season four, but there's there's plenty of other stuff to talk about. So if we would love it if you would come and let us know what you think about 
how non-white characters have been represented on Lost Girl, if there are particular representations that you really liked and thought they did a good job or ones that you thought were problematic. We would love to hear your thoughts on this issue. Again, go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 53. You can also send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. Or you can leave us a voice message by clicking on the Send Voicemail tab on the right-hand side of the website. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.